Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We're going to jump into uh, back into our family value series. If you haven't joined us for the last several weeks, uh, what we've been talking about is we've been talking about, man, there are certain values. There are certain ways of behavior that make us us, that make us distinct as a church. The first one we talked about is the fact that we are a gospel-obsessed church. We love the whole story of the gospel, that God is not just uh, out to make bad people better, but he came and he made a beautiful world and he's seeking to make all things remade or renewed after he has taken people who are not bad, but spiritually dead. And he's made them now alive together in Christ so that we then get to participate in the redemption of all things until he comes back. We're gospel obsessed. This is a big, big story and we are thrilled to be a part of it. The second thing we talked about in week two is that we're family. That, man, there might be people sitting next to you that you sit next to every single week because we are kind of creatures in habit in church, right? And it's kind of like, that's my seat, even though that's not true. Your name is not on it. You may have even paid for it, but it's not yours, right? But we just all sit in the same seats all the time. And we're not just random people sitting next to each other in a church service once, twice, three, four times a month, whatever. Man, we're family. We're family. There are brothers and sisters down your road. There are people who are meant to carry, carry crosses with you and to champion ministry through you and to be encouragers and to be people who will come and sit alongside you when you're going through the, the lowest lows of life and then celebrate with you when you're on the highest highs. It's family. It's family. We were called into by Christ himself to not be strangers and aliens anymore, but to be members of the household of faith. And so this is a church family. We see ourselves as family. Last week we talked about, I've already been over it a little bit, but we're kingdom people. We love seeing the kingdom of God built. We wanna be doing that locally. Man, we're stirring up all kinds of things locally that I'm so excited about. And we're also reaching globally. That, how cool. Uh, just, okay, hold on. I know I'm kind of in my like sermon groove right now, but let's all just like stop for just a second and think about how awesome the kingdom of God is. That through, through like your giving and praying here, you have participated in some of the rescue and res- restoration and renewal of 23,000 small human beings on the other side of the planet. That's the kingdom of God. Like it, it's, it's something that we don't have to, we, like we can sit here and just enjoy our salvation and wait till heaven. I think God's that good that we can actually just do that. But how much more of an invitation is it to participate in whatever he's building and however the light is breaking through the darkness, however joy has come in the middle of mourning, how awesome is it to participate in those moments to bring the kingdom of God, right? We're kingdom people, kingdom people. All right, so this week, this week, what we're talking about is that we see generosity as our response. Generosity as our response. So we are, remember, the values, they don't matter at all if we can't remember them at all, right? So we are a gospel-obsessed family of kingdom people. And to start the next stanza, we're saying, and we are, we are people who are generous as a response to what God has done. Um, I, know, I know as soon as I say that, y'all think money, right, is the first thing. And maybe like your hand on your pocketbook just got a little bit tighter. You just like kind of made sure you felt, made sure your wallet was still in your pocket. Someone didn't like, the greeter didn't like bring you in, give you a hug, take your wallet on your way in, right? How generous of us to always be asking for money as the church, right? That's kind of the mantra that's out there, but that's, that's not really it at all. It's not my heart at all today. I come before you today, standing on the stage, not needing a single thing from anybody. 
This church has been so generous faithfully for years and years and years. This is not coming out of my need. This is coming out of our collective need to understand how generous God always has been and always will be. This is not me asking for more tithers. This is not me giving you a little pledge sheet on your way out so you can make sure you give to something that we're doing here because that's not it. That's not what this message is about. This message is simply about, man, God has done some things in your life. He's given you everything. And our only, our only action that we have from that is our response to him. So um, it's pretty fun. It was about a year ago that we did the Here to Stay uh, giving campaign. I mean, campaign may be a bad word for it, but how many of you were here for Here to Stay? You got to hear some of the story? Okay, so maybe about half of you in the room. We did, um, what we did was over the course of several weeks, we just put several of our needs as a church, as like a physical location, this building. We said, hey man, wow, we got some needs. Y'all got some money. And so if you want to give, go ahead and do it, right? And we just put all the price tags on everything. We just said, here's what it is. We know, we know these, like these are newer lights. You should have seen the older lights. Um, they, they were a sight. They, they were like this big when they came down actually too, which was incredible. But they were like 40-year-old light fixtures. How many of y'all have 40-year-old light fixtures in your house? I'm guessing not many. So we just said, hey, we're calling it what it is. This place needs some updating. And my gosh, doesn't it look good? It looks amazing. And I, I have, no, 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 hold on. Hold your applause because I have some exciting news for you. The air conditioner that we paid for in February is coming November 15th. <laughs> Praise God, huh? I think November 20th is the Sunday after it'll be installed. I'm just saying, bring a coat because we're turning it on. We're celebrating. <laughs> bring, bring a hat, bring some mittens. I don't care. Dress warm, put some hand warmers in, like wherever you need to put them. But we're, we're turning that thing on. We're going to make it snow in this room. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm, I'm mostly not, just so you know. But... Um, it also is a, it's a heater too. Like it has central heat as well. So it'll help us regulate the whole room very nicely. But uh, man, we put these needs in front of you guys. And we just said, hey, here's, we don't have no idea how much, how much is going to come in. We're, we're not going to do the whole thermometer thing on the stage. No knock to your church growing up. But that's how they raised money when you were growing up. But um, we just said, hey, here are the needs. And if you want to give, it's, it's just a free will offering. And you guys gave half a million dollars um, throughout the course of the next six months or so, which is incredible. It was incredibly humbling to just be reminded uh, again that this church is consistently generous. Um, half a million dollars, we're gonna continue working through the projects as we can. But man, even for this year, like uh, our, our income is outpacing what we thought it was gonna be. And so it's, it's already going to be a great year financially. Not again, not, not thanks to like any, any few of us, but thanks to the body. I, I, I will mention this maybe just even a little bit later too. I don't, I don't keep track of who gives what. I have no idea of even knowing who gives what. Like the only people who are gonna know are the people who have to know to make sure it gets accredited to your account um, to make sure you get the tax receipt at the end of the year. Come on, somebody, right? Um, other than that, like our pastors, our ministry leaders, we have no idea who gives what. We, we value that anonymity because it keeps us impartial. It keeps us impartial. So we, we don't know. But what I do know is that there are, there are a couple hundred, probably just over 200 consistent giving households that are a part of this church which is significant because that means 200, that means that probably represented about 400 people. You are probably sitting next to a tither. So th this church, the ministry here, the things we're doing, it's not built on the wealth of a few. It is carried by all of us as family, which is amazing. And it's encouraging for me. I, I know the data indicates that probably five to 10% of professing Christians in our country are consistent tithers. And I don't think that's true of this church. We, we are, this again, it's a generous church. The reason we're going through this series is not so we can um, 
call out things that don't exist. They're to call out the things that are already here so we might stoke them into flame all the more. We might, we want to put these things in front of you so that we can continue being the people that we know we want to be. Amen. So generosity is our response. I don't think there's a better story that captures this in all of scripture than, than the story of King David. And so we're going to open up to First Chronicles uh, chapter 29. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Um, we're going to read there starting in verse 1. Um, as, and listen, if you have to go to the table of contents first to find Chronicles, I know you haven't been in there in your reading plan in a while. We can just, you can be honest about that, okay? Chronicles, it's, it's that book that when you, when you get to it, how many of y'all ever, you tried to read the Bible in a year? Come on, show of hands. Cool. How many of y'all, you get to Chronicles, right? And you're just like, man, it just, like, haven't I read this already? And it's like, yes, it's because Chronicles and Kings and Samuel, they're all telling of the same time historically for the nation of Israel. And a lot of it centers around this one dude, David, right? It's like his family tree and here's some of the mistakes he made and here's some of the awesome things he did. But a lot of it's just all about King David. And so as we're reading here, as we're jumping in to chapter 29, here's what you have to know about David, okay? Even if you've, if you don't have much of a church background at all, King David was this shepherd boy. There, there was a prophet who came looking to identify the next king of Israel. And he was looking at all these sons and man, they're, they're handsome, they're strong and they're big. And they look awesome, fit for a king. And he, he, the prophet's like, I'm missing one. Like you, you got one other son somewhere else. And the guy's like, yeah, he's, he's kind of out. He's like with the sheep. He's frolicking with all the lambs out on some hill somewhere. Can't get him to quit playing his harp and stuff like that. You know what I mean? He's like, I don't know. He's like, no, that's the next king of Israel. So David, David goes from the pasture to the palace. He goes from the pasture of the sheep to the prince over the nation uh, through this long roundabout story that we don't have time to get into today. But, but finally, David is reigning and ruling as king. And man, he, he conquers and he takes back a lot of land for the nation of Israel and, and things on the outside looking in, you know, like the whole Bathsheba story, we're gonna just table that for just a second, although it is a real uh, you know, blemish on David's record for sure. But what David's done is he's, he's brought Israel back into the forefront of the conversation. He's restored all of these good and amazing and right things back to the nation of Israel. And one day, David's sitting there, you can read about this in 1 Chronicles 17. Um, it's almost as if he just realizes one day, he's like, God, something's not right. Like I'm, I'm living in a custom built home and God's still dwelling in a tent. God's still camping out there, right? God's, God's still being uh, ministered to in the tabernacle. And he says, this isn't right. We need to, we need to build God a home. Like we've brought the Ark of the Covenant. We need to, we need to put the presence of God back rightly seated in a, in a permanency in the nation uh, for the nation of Israel. And so David sets out and he starts, he, he gets all these plans that are downloaded to him and he gets all these resources gathered together. And God's like, hey, David, you're right. Thank you for building me a house. Just one little footnote. Um, I'm not gonna allow you to build it, right? And the, and the reason is because David was a man who had too much blood on his hands. He was a man of war. And so God says, you're right that I need a house that needs to be built. And this is how you're gonna build it. It's just not gonna be you who carries that vision into fulfillment, and instead, it's going to be his son, Solomon. And so you got to think, all of this that happens for David, he's doing this knowing from the beginning that he's not actually going to be the one who builds the thing that he dreamed about one day. So we read that. With that, we read First uh, Chronicles chapter 29. It says, And David, the king, said to all the assembly, he gathered the nation, he says to them, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Holler if that's you in the room, real quick. Anybody? Young and inexperienced? And some liars? Okay, that's cool. 
Solomon, he's young, he's inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, besides that, great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble. What David's saying here is he's saying, I've stewarded the resources of the nation to be prepared for this moment. So (laughs) say what you want about our government. He's He's not writing checks that just don't exist. You know what I mean? He's like, no, I've actually set some stuff aside for this. I've been planning for this moment and we're gonna build this temple. And, and Solomon, like God bless all of you who are gonna put up with that guy's building project, but he's young and he's inexperienced. And so I've, I've prepared some supplies and some resources for him to sort of prime the pump on this building project. But it's not just that he steward ev- the nation's resources well. It says in verse three, it says, moreover, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house, I personally have a treasure of my own, a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. And you can almost pause in his, in his address to the nation, right? He stops at that moment. He says, I'm all in. I'm all in. Like I'm cashing out my savings account to see to this thing happens. And then he turns and he looks at everyone else and he says, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? It says, then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. However much that is, I don't even know how much a derrick weighs or whatever. All this gold, a whole bunch of silver, a bunch of bronze, and a whole, a whole bunch of iron, right? 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Okay, Let me pause for just a sec before we go into this next section. Um, I notice a few things about David's generosity, right? I mean, you you can't really argue with the fact that David in this moment is incredibly generous. He's saying, hey, I'm putting everything on the line here. I'm rallying all the troops. I'm giving out of my own personal savings account. I'm writing the first check to say this house needs to be built. David is super generous to even dip into his own savings account to leverage this whole thing going forward. And here's, here's what I noticed about David's generosity is first that it, it's almost like it's selfishly motivated. Now, tr- hold on with me for just a sec because I know what I'm saying maybe sound like not the best and most right thing, but, but David has a self-interest. He feels personally convicted that this needs to happen. His, his generosity stems from a word that he received for the nation. And so he's now calling everyone to participate even though it was something that he had his own self-interest in. And sometimes I think that can be the story of our giving as well. Not even, not even necessarily in a bad way, but we all have our own different things that we feel uniquely called to and we feel stirred up about personally or convicted towards personally that if, man, if the need arises, we'll rise right up and write the check because we are, we, are four, um, we are four moms who are choosing life for their kids or we are four saving people out of homeless ministry. We are four rescuing kids out of trafficking. We are four helping students who are in need in our school district. 
My guess is it's not just this sweeping, like we all care so deeply about all those issues, but there's probably a self-motivated one where it's the way God has wired you and that's beautiful. Where we just go, man, what, what need is there in front of me in this area that I can help meet? Because God has really wired you towards that one thing. Again, it's not, it's not wrong. It is wrong if we only ever ask, well, what do I feel like giving to today? If that, if that is the question, if we're always just kind of asking, what do I want to do? The answer more often than not is, I actually don't want to give away money. Thank you. I like what it looks like in my savings account. Am I lying? Oh, you all going to act like I'm lying. I just make no noise at all. Okay, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But it's, it's okay to look at how God has wired us to see like where specifically he's calling us to give. It's just not okay for us to use the primary lens of like, well, what do I feel like doing today? Because your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. The second thing I notice about um, David's giving is that uh, it also is, is very strategic. It's strategically motivated in some ways. So he has this building project that he knows God wants to get done. And so he's strategically rallying all the people of Israel by showing them that he's in it first, but he's also just really setting up his son to do well, right? And it reminds me, and it makes me think of our giving, like our giving oftentimes is strategic. Like I, I am not saying that the primary reason for you giving to a church should be so that you get a tax receipt at the end of the year. But I'm also saying when you give to a nonprofit, you do get a tax receipt at the end of the year. There is some, yeah, get an amen for that. There are some, there's some strategy to where you give. There is some strategy as far as like, not just blindly giving to any need that comes your way, but really evaluating Holy Spirit of God. What is this, what is this ministry? Or what is this person? How are they going to use the resources that we want to partner with them consistently? You want to know one of the reasons why we're partnered with Life for the Innocent? is because they're not, just, they're not just feeding an economy of trafficking in South Asia, but they're also simultaneously rescuing kids who are in immediate need. They're planting churches to tilt the whole worldview of the region on its head because the worldview itself actually, it doesn't just like look at, it doesn't look at child trafficking the way that we look at it. They don't see anything wrong with it. There's this whole caste system and whoever has the coexist bumper sticker on the back of your bumper, you just need to peel that thing off because it's not true. Because ways that other belief systems and ever other religions look at human beings is not with the same intrinsic value that Christianity does. And so it's so incredibly strategic because they're partnered on taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, tilting that whole worldview of how it believes on its head, rescuing the kids who are in need, meeting the people who are in mental health crisis. And they're doing it from this full scale like view that's incredibly strategic. So I'm not even saying that our giving shouldn't be strategic. I'm just saying that shouldn't be the only reason that we give. It can't just be selfishly motivated or whatever we want to do. It can't just be strategy. It can't just be what am I passionate about or what feelings do I have towards this thing? Here's, here's the kicker. Here's where generosity has to come from. This is what it has to look like. Up again now in verse 10 of chapter 29. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Do you hear all the ands? He's just describing all these different things about God. And the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Everything belongs to God. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. David is motivated in his generosity, not as some outward emotional thing that he knows he ought to do, but but he is actually compelled to be generous because he has received generosity from God. And so he, he, he recognizes that, man, everything that I have is yours. David knows full well he could still be a shepherd boy playing the harp on the side of a hill. And, and, but instead, God has brought him all this way now to be ruling over a nation. And he said, God, that's all because of you. That's all because of you. And because of all that you've done for me, I'm gladly and freely and willingly going to surrender things back to you. And so our posture for generosity can't be what selfishly motivates us or what we just like being involved in. It also can't just be this idea of, man, what strategically is the best move for me to make right now? Our generosity has to be compelled by who God is and what he's done. Because check this, everything that you have belongs to God. Every dollar, every penny, and, and me, you know, and me were like, hey, it's less than pennies in my bank account, bro. Like maybe, maybe you are, maybe you are just kind of like you've have debt just piled on top of you and you don't have any way to breathe, any way to get out. I would just like to lovingly invite you to say we're family and I have members of this family who would love nothing more than to buy you a cup of coffee because you, you're just saying right now you can't afford it, right? That, but they'll buy you a cup of coffee. They'll sit down with you and they will coach you through finances. No judgment, no shame, but they will teach you how to use money as what it ought to be is a tool rather than to something that is oppressing you all the time. And so if you want that invitation, there's no greater step that you could take towards stewardship than just admitting that you need some help. And we have some people here who would love, love, love to help you. Because I know debt is strapping so many people in this world right now. And inflation is not getting better last time I checked. I quit checking a while ago because it was depressing. You know what I mean? So man, if you are just strapped right now, there are ways that we can connect you to resources so that you can help get your way out of it. But generosity starts with us understanding that it's not even just that my money all is God's. It's that even actually like the gifts and the brain that I have that allows me to earn money, that, that came from him too. And once we start to order everything rightly and we see that rightly, we understand, man, you know what? God was actually not stingy with me ever, ever. And forgiveness, he's He's, he's lavished out his forgiveness, lavished out his grace, lavished out his mercy. He's continuing to give you new ideas, new ways to make money. He's continuing to fill you up with purpose in this life so that you can have everything that you would need. Plus you can be a blessing then to those around you. But I, I feel genuinely concerned for some of the people who are a part of our congregation and you have access to money that you never thought you would have before. The Bible says pretty clearly it is, it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why is that? Because money so easily robs us of our affection and our attention and it entices us into this promise that it can't keep. I don't care if you never thought you'd have six, seven, eight digits in your bank account. Now all of a sudden you do. Here's, here is the promise that God has to have you here this morning is that it is not given to you just for you, but money was meant to be just a tool in your hand to serve him in another way. It doesn't matter if you have $5, $500,000, $5,000,000, $5 kajillion dollars or whatever the government's gonna make up next as they're doing some next rescue. Never mind. That's, that's too much. 
It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. What God's after is he's after your surrender and your heart to say, no, God, I recognize that all of this belongs to you. See, we, we always want to reduce the conversation about money in the church down to the tithe. And we go, well, is, is tithing still for today? And what I would say about that is we see tithing actually uh, demonstrated before the Mosaic law is given. And then it's obviously, in, it's instituted then in the Mosaic law. And then Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he doesn't turn down the message on the tithe. He actually ramps it up so that we might see as the church today, here's how I believe we should operate with the tithe. It is the building block. It is the, it is the first step for us to take in understanding the generosity of God and then demonstrating the generosity to those around us. So is the tithe still for today? I would say, yes, it is. It absolutely is. It is our way of stepping into this reality that everything I have belongs to God. It's not me giving God my 10%. It's me returning back to him the 10th that belongs to him. And this, I'm not saying this to condemn or to give shame to anybody in this room. Because again, I don't know. I have no idea who's sitting in these seats, who gives what or who, who gives how often. I, I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't care to know. I will never know as long as I can protect it. But what I do know is that like tithing has this way of continually reminding our household. I'll speak just for Katie and I for just a moment. Where we write a check once a month and we go, there's the 10%, there's 10%, there's 10%, there's 10%. And historically, that 10%, that's all the word tithe means is 10% is then just given right back to the church that supports our family, which is not, it, I, I'm not just paid by this church. I'm a, I'm a part of this family raising my kids in this church, Right. And so we're giving our 10th back to this church every single month, not because we're dutifully checking some box somewhere, but because we are consistently reminding our hearts, hey, none of it belongs to us anyways. None of it belongs to us anyways. And so we consistently give. But then what I would say is the New Testament, what it invites us into is not just tithing, but actually radical generosity. Where you have the early, uh, the early, Followers of Jesus, they're just going, man, whoever has need, whatever, like I'll just sell my stuff. I'll just sell that thing so I can buy this for you. I will empty my pocket so that every need in the church is met. This is the kind of radical hospitality we see demonstrated in the book of Acts. I think Paul echoes this for us in 2 Corinthians. He's writing on this section of what generosity should look like in the church. He says, but who am I? I'm sorry. The point, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That, that root word for the word cheerful is the same word that we get our English word hilarious out of. And I just think that's awesome. Have you ever been prompted with something where you're just like, Lord, that's hilarious. Like what's like, I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know what, and it's just like, man, it's just, it's almost just comical when you think about what the Lord's asking you to do. And man, I'll tell you this, every time we've stepped out in faith, Katie and I, and we followed after some hilarious prompting by the Holy Spirit, God has always faithfully met us with his grace to meet any need that we had on the back end in our own household. And I'm not trying to turn God into some cosmic slot machine where if you put money in, you pull a lever, you'll get blessing out. That's not what this is. It's principle. What it is is principle. It says it right there when Paul says, it's, the saying is trustworthy. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You, you don't want to see an awesome harvest in the kingdom of God? Put little in and you'll get little out. If you want to see God do amazing things then, sow bountifully. And, and by, God, by God's grace, we're going to reap bountifully. 
Look at how this verse keeps going on to say, God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What does this mean? It means that our generosity isn't just limited to our money. Like, man, gosh, we should be generous in the way that we talk to one another. Like, do you give out compliments easily? I mean, the saying is that talk is cheap, but I would say talk is incredibly valuable. It can cut right to a person's heart or it can lift somebody up who has been exhausted and beaten down and run down for the last season of their life. Man, we could like, but no matter what, it says that God is able to make all grace. That means in any shortcoming you have, he's able to overcome it in any category. God is able in all grace abounding to you so that having all sufficiency or, or contentment in all things at all times so that you may abound in all the good work. So like, I just think that we as a people, knowing what we have received from God should be extending generously uh, words of encouragement, lifting people up, using, using our voice to amplify what the Holy Spirit is saying in someone's uh, life rather than to align maybe in a more gossip-centered way where we're actually trying to counter what the Spirit's doing in somebody's life. Rather, I'm going to use my mouth to echo whatever God's doing in somebody's life. It means if I see my kids doing something awesome, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going I'm to throw, if I see somebody doing something awesome when they're out in the public, out, out at, the, at Qdoba or whatever, I'm going to be like, man, praise God, you represented Jesus so well to that person. Today. I'm going to give those kind of compliments freely because I've been given things greatly by God. Man, not just my talk, not just my money, but I'm going to do it with my, with my space. Man, some of y'all have a spare bedroom sitting in your house that is still like set up for your kid to come home one day. And I'm just here to tell you, they ain't coming home. Like they have started their own life. They are doing their own thing. They're good. Congratulations. You were successful in what you did as a parent. Use the bedroom for something. Man, maybe there's a single mom. Maybe there's somebody who's just down and out. Maybe there's someone battling homelessness right now. Use the space, the property, the physical things that God has given you to help bless somebody. Maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's just time. Maybe you don't have anything else to offer. There's not, you can't write a fat check right now. I don't got a spare bedroom in my house. But you know what you do have probably is time. And I know we all wear busyness like this badge of honor, like we just don't matter at all unless we're busy. That's why we always say it to people when we bump into them from our past, right? How are you? Oh, I'm busy. It's like, oh, good. You must be important, right? Like that's what we kind of expect them to say or something. But are you interruptible with your time? Are you generous with your calendar? Do you make space for other people who have needs that aren't just so self-centered or strategic on your end, but you're actually willing to just bless somebody else? This, this is how God has treated us, remember. So generosity, it, it is not this complex thing that I want you walking out of here to just try to muster up on your own. Rather, it's just, a, it's just responding to who God has been to you and to me. Man, I hope that what you get when you're coming into this church every day is you get a dose of the generosity of God in the way of his love for you, in the way of his bringing you into his family, in the way of him gifting you to do cool things in his kingdom that you have no business doing right now. Like you can actually take what the devil meant for evil and you can weaponize it against him for God's good. That's a pretty awesome move. God's given you that. He's generous. He's given you a personality, a sense of humor. He's given you a home to live in. He's given you people around you. God has poured out abundantly for you. And the more that you meditate and stew on that fact, the more it's gonna elicit generosity in you. It's not gonna be something you have to force. Here's, here's the question. It's, it's the very end here of 1 Chronicles, one of the sections that we read. It says in 1 Chronicles uh, 29, 
Here's the question that David, as he's giving his acknowledgement of what he's going to do for the temple, then he turns to everyone. He says, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Uh, it's, it's my question for all of us here today, is who then is willing to consecrate yourself, offering yourself willingly to the Lord? That, that word consecration, maybe you don't have a lot of context for that word. What it means is you are, you are uh, choosing to, be, to set yourself apart for God's use only. So when we have this act of consecration, what we're saying is like, I'm going to go through this process where I just, I just dedicate myself to God's use. To, I'm going I'm to dedicate myself to him. And so whether today it's, it's money, maybe today's the day that you finally take the step to start tithing and you don't know where it's going to come from. Maybe today you're going to take the step to, to go beyond tithing, but you're going, to start, you're going to start looking for opportunities to be radically generous with your money. Maybe what you're going to be looking for is how to use the stuff God's given you or the time that he's given you to demonstrate his generosity. But I know this, I know that it first starts with us making the decision that all that I have, all that I am, belongs to the Lord. And so I'm going to choose to set myself apart for his use alone. It's not about my own self-interest. It's not about my own strategy and what I might get out of it. It's so that I might participate in building his kingdom with whatever I do. Now, here's, here's, here's the problem that I have with prayers like this is because I've been in moments like in a youth camp before where we have them all signed, like this vow of consecration, like your, your life is gonna be set apart for God. And it's all emotional, right? And you get all these like high schoolers in a room, middle schoolers, and they're just like, oh my gosh. And they just sign this piece of paper and they're like, I am the Lord's and the Lord's alone. And it works for that moment. But what happens is inevitably like Monday is gonna come for all of us in here. And we're gonna go, I don't actually feel like that anymore, right? And so I'm wondering if today, if you would willingly offer into a, a grace, a grace consecration with the Lord, where you go, God, I, I know I'm gonna fall short in this. I know there's gonna be times where you call me to do something, I'm gonna back out of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna misrepresent you. I'm not gonna do it perfectly, but God, would, would your Holy Spirit meet me in that moment? And would you help me overcome? Would you grace me with all things in all ways so that I might abound in every good work that you would have for me to do? And that's really like, as we end today, we're gonna, we're gonna go right towards communion. So if you, if you grab one of these on your way and you go ahead and grab it right now. And if you don't have one, uh, just throw your hand up in the air and we'll get one to you in just a moment. But this, like what I want you waking up thinking about tomorrow is not the things that you need to do, but I want you to be reminded of this moment of the things God has already done. Do, do you get that? If you walk out of here feeling guilty about your lack of generosity, you've heard me wrong today. The invitation is not to be, oh my gosh, I ought to do this thing better. The invitation is to recognize, no, Jesus has already poured out generously everything you need. And that's what we have here as we receive communion together. And so I'd invite you, if you, are, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, to just grab the communion elements. And before we just, before we, just throw them into our body. Let's actually take a second and just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, I pray that you would encounter us right here and right now. God, would you show us how much you've loved us, how much love you've poured out for us, how generous you've been in just all the different ways of our life. And would you prompt us today to see the spots in our life where we can take that next step of surrender towards you? Whether it's something with money or time or the physical things that we have, God, help us to see this world rightly 
so that the world of the generous might get bigger and bigger. We might have a, a broadened vision for what you could do on this planet, in our neighborhood, in our own home, where we work. Holy Spirit, come. Show us the next steps that we need to take. But help us come to your body knowing that it is by grace alone that we are saved. It is because you have paid out the ultimate sacrifice of your body on the cross that we even have this moment. And so with the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ, we receive your body today together. And God, we take the cup which represents your new covenant. God, I pray for there to be a grace on us as a people to be continually empowered by your Holy Spirit to be the generous people that you have envisioned for this place. God, we are in need of grace. Nobody is gonna do this perfectly. And yet here we are asking that you would seal us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's with that that we receive your grace, the cup today. Would you stand? Generosity is our response. Here's how we've written it out in a value statement. Our God is not stingy. He does not hold back. He's poured out for us a generous amount of grace. He's forgiven generously and he's loved us abundantly. He's never held back his kindness or his beauty. Freely we have received and so cheerfully we will give. When it comes to giving percentages, it's not our standard. An obligation is the wrong approach. It is our overflowing response to give. We wanna be a people who have open wallets, space in our calendars and margin in our resources to do whatever God wants to do in a moment, even when the Spirit's prompting is hilarious. God has gifted us and so we will steward our gifts to his glory. Generosity then is not a complex emotion that we muster. It is a simple response to who God has been to us. God, I just pray that you would stir us up, fix our eyes up onto you, Jesus, so that we might see the generosity of our God and our King who has loved us and graced us and saved us, pulled us up out of the pit. Help us to just simply respond. Help us to be empowered as we go about our week this week, as we walk out of these doors. We wanna be a people who embody your generosity. We wanna demonstrate it to the world around us so that they might see our God who is in heaven. They might see our good works and they might glorify you. Jesus, we love you. We need you in all this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.